Hey, sport. Hey, you're so dramatic <laughs> right now. It's just because, like, it's super sunny over here, uh, <laughs> but behind me. I, the like, sun makes me feel dramatic, too. <laughs> just just with, the, with the way the light is behind you, I feel like you're, like, my, like, government contact. I know. I'm, like, I'm... I'm not going to say that. I didn't say that. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Nobody said deep throat. decided is a blessing in disguise because now I can talk about what about my night last night which was just rife with straight bullshit straight bullshit like it was direct direct to video bullshit or like hetero heterosexual bullshit there was I mean it was both it was both but it was so heterosexual I had such a heterosexual night which is super crazy because like if I if I just like completely ignore my workplace, like if I if I don't count my workplace, I haven't seen a straight person in months. Uh-huh. So here's what I, okay. So there's this thing in Philly, um, like a lot of clubs and, and bars and stuff, they have like recurring theme nights and stuff. I'm sure plenty of plenty of like cities do this, but so there's this there's this bar, I guess it's more of a club, where they have a unicorn party. Okay. And, like, the point of this... It sounds very kinky so far. It's not. And, like, well, I mean, I know know how it sounds. Like, it sounds like straight couples on Tinder looking for their unicorn. But Mm -hmm. my understanding of it, from from hearing people talk about it who have been to it, is that you just get really sparkly, and you go and you dance and you have a good time. I can respect that. Like, that sounds like so much fun. So, my friend Sarah and I, we got sparkly. Like, we put so much sparkle on ourselves. We did cool lipstick. We did it all. We looked great. We step out, and we go to this club. And so, downstairs, there are two floors. Downstairs was the dance floor, like, the main dance floor. And nobody was, like, on theme. There weren't a lot of people dancing, it was kind of boring, so we, like, we went back upstairs, and it was all polo shirt dads. Oh, God. And, like, some ladies dancing very badly to Promiscuous by Nelly Furtado featuring Timbaland. And it was just, like, too painful, so we went back downstairs, and... It was better. It was better than the than whatever was happening upstairs. Like nobody was dancing, but whatever. So we were just dancing and enjoying ourselves. And then there was like a bachelorette party and a bunch of like woo girls. And I'll take woo girls over over polo shirt dads any day. But then the polo shirt mm-hmm. dads came downstairs and were mixing with the woo girls. 
That's a volatile combination. It really was. It was explosive. So, um, these, these folks were like, like really macking on each other. And I was like, I was just so jarred. So then Sarah and I, in the gay club, this was a gay club. You know what? It wasn't a gay club, which was our fatal, our fatal mistake. But the thing was, see, that's your first mistake right there. Trusted sources have been to this party. So I was like, I, I guess this is, this is kind of a, this is kind of a spot. I'd never been before. But then, to make matters worse, we went to the famous Philadelphia Gaberhood because we were like, we look too good. We are two unicorns amongst a sea of horses. We need to be a- around our people. Mm-hmm. So we went to the Gaberhood to dance, and we ended up, like, at. There's a bar called Woody's in the neighborhood, which is like there. They have like a million dance floors. That's why we went. We were at the best, the best of the dance floors, and it was just like a straight mess, a heterosexual mess. Everybody there was straight, except for except for like a couple of old lesbians, which is like always my favorite thing to see. And I was just like standing them for them for life. But then we went outside. They have like a like a deck where you can smoke and like Sarah was smoking and uh, so then out there they were playing different music and they decided that it was time to play My Heart Will Go On by one Miss Celine Dion. Clearly their mating call because like suddenly the the room on the deck outside was like crammed and I was just like pressed up against Sarah because the straight guy behind me was like suddenly very close to me. And then and then, after Celine Dion was finished, they played Bohemian Rhapsody. And I was like, I need to leave. I need to get out of here right now. I need to go home. So we went home, and we watched Kath and Kim. And that was my night. That is terrible, and I'm sorry that that experience happened to you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm here for you in this difficult time. Thank you. Thank you. It was such a straight mess and there are often straight people in the neighborhood and like it's fine like it's not fine but it's fine like we expect it mm-hmm. but like i was just surrounded and they were like and they keep they always do this thing like where they go into this very clearly defined gay space and they look at you all uncomfortable like oh are you gay (laughs) and i'm just like you came to my house you came to my house right and you expected me not to be gay in it like what do you you came into my house you put on celine dion you licked all my plates they looked at my plates didn't even take off your shoes i don't have a dishwasher told my dog to sit he didn't Anyways, oh my gosh, should we start talking about this movie? Yeah, we should definitely get into it. This is going to be done in a tight 15. Okay, (laughs) let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to What the Het, a podcast about heteronormativity in cinema. I'm Nico Rufino, a they and a gay... And I'm mad about the straights on this particular day. That's a nice song you just wrote. I am a singer-songwriter also. I'm like Amy Mann. And I am Alex Keswick. 
here in the basement, as always, with my cat, PJ. Uh, so yeah, um, so what ha- what happened, Nico? So here's what happened. We've recorded just two hours of liquid gold. Liquid, molten, liquid, lava gold. Delicious gold. That I was just like, slup, right into my esophagus. Slup, delicious. And it was like the CGI honey in a uh, Honey Nut Cheerios commercial, and that bee's just rolling around in it. That's exactly what it was. And Thank that you. was us bees. Thank you for that image, my friend. So what had happened was we we hung up our Skype call, and I tried to export my file as per usual, and my computer was like, nope. And I was like, let me try again. And it was like, nope. And then I tried about six more times. And then... I thought to save the file and close GarageBand, my recording software of choice, because it's the only one I have. And then I reopened it, and it was like, I ate your file. Oopsie daisy. File? What file? What is a file, is what what this, this software said. And I said... I don't really know. I have like a, you know, I have like a nebulous idea of what a file is, but I guess I don't really know. You're supposed to know. So that's, that's what happened. Job. So here we are, round two. We're going to get this shit tight. It's going to be punchy. Tight. No, this is this honestly such a, a rare opportunity because we never get the opportunity to just like do a dry run, like a rehearsal. Yeah. You no, know? this, this, this is the real thing. Last time was just... A fake out? Dry run. Dry run. Makes sense because I was a little drunk and I was saying yeah, a lot of things. It was so things. good. We had such. It was. We had so much good audio. It was so good, and uh, you'll never know it. But it was. It was. Yeah. It you'll was. Never know. It was molten gold. I'll never know. It's okay. What could have been? Honestly, um, it might be okay that we're doing a second run because I'm pretty sure a solid hour of our recording session last time was just talking about Jerry Seinfeld and the B movie. Not an hour. Maybe fifteen minutes. So I would like I would like to revisit that conversation actually. I went on a cruise with my father when I was sixteen and the TV in the in our cabin only had like two channels and the channels one of them like played B movie and the other one played like some action movie. So I would kind of flip between the two of them when it was nighttime and there was nothing else to do. So I ended up seeing the B movie about eight times on that trip. And now every time I talk about the B movie, I have to watch it, which is why I do my best not to discuss it too often because it is not a good movie. Well, you get that hanker and you get that, that hunger. I get the itch. Um, because the thing is, like, I, every so often I forget just how bad the, uh, the allegory to slavery, to American slavery is in that film. Um, as well as... I love this because we talked about B-Movie for a long time last night, and we'd established that I've never seen the movie, but every time you bring up something new about the movie, I'm just equally surprised. <laughs> I don't think you touched on the uh, slavery allegory. Oh, it's um, there. Last night. Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld is is a pox. He is a pox upon upon my house. Because like as Jews, my entire family is just like Jerry Seinfeld, but then like I'm also just like bogged down with the context that he's a piece of shit. 
and mm-hmm. also bogged down with the fact that I, you know, come from gener- like years of generational trauma because I'm also a black person. So I have to sort of weave those two beautiful threads together as I think about the fact that Jerry Seinfeld in the B movie decided it was appropriate to make a very ham-fisted allegory to American slavery when he could have made it, he could have easily made an allegory to Jewish slavery and it would have been more fine but he was just like, no, in this children's movie that I've decided needs to be made, I'm going to reference American slavery. Gosh, gosh, I'm going to watch that movie later, probably. You know, I was at a Walmart last night, and in the like $3 DVD bin, they had a bunch of copies of the B movie. Oh, of course they did. And I was like, you know, and I was like, no, I'm not going to commit to this. <laughs> I'm not, going to, I'm not going to pay any amount of American dollars for the B-movie. I will... Last I checked, it was on Netflix, but I have to send you a picture of something now that we're talking about B-movie, and now I can put it on our brand new Instagram also. Instagram. I'm on there now, too. Um, ignore my typing. I need to find this picture. It's a promotional picture from a B-movie. And it's the most important picture I've ever seen of anything. And I don't... I don't say that very often. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. When I tell you it's the most important picture I've ever seen... (laughs) There's so much. I don't know if I'm more drawn to his face, or his little (laughs) tiny hands, or his big boots... His big ass Kingdom Hearts shoes. And then, like, poor, long suffering Chris Rock. Or, or, yeah, just Chris Rock is just there, like, Jerry Seinfeld roped him into this. Chris Rock does not look bad, other than, like, the long mosquito, like, headdress. Like, he just looks like a 90s superhero. My favorite part of that is that. Chris Rock's role in this film is so unbelievably tiny that there is absolutely no, like, there's no reason for him to be involved in any promotions <laughs> other than the fact well, that it's a Chris mosquito, Rock. They're very little. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my favorite picture. It's very important to me. Look out for it on Instagram. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about the reason we're here, I guess. Yes. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Man, I almost forgot the name of that f- that film. Raiders of the Lost Episode. Uh, Raiders. That's us. That's me and you. Uh, remember the last episode of SpongeBob? No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Tell me about Indiana Jones. Um, he is a sex idiot, and he. Thing about Indiana Jones is that he's like celebrated for you know his intelligence in some ways, but I don't really think he's very smart. He's also like an asshole and he gets away with it because he's so damned attractive. Right. Um, Which is probably the most realistic thing about this film because they're just like, look at this sex idiot. We're going to give him everything he wants, including a doctorate because his hair does that swoopy, swoopy thing that we all swoon about. 
Right. As much as you, as much as you hate him in this movie, you still also sort of gotta love him because he's just so damn handsome. He's so charming. It's a it's a weapon. It is it's honestly offensive. It is. I find it offensive. I mean, I find a lot of things about him offensive. The thing is that I keep coming back to regarding this film is that I've never actually seen it before, but I absorbed so much about it via cultural osmosis. You know, I know all the big scenes, Mm -hmm. the one with the sandbag being not the right weight and the, the ball that chases him and the, you know, melting Nazi at the end and... The other stuff, you know, like I, it's like I, all the important stuff. I figured after all these years that I didn't really have to see it. And then you forced my hand. And then I came along. Ah, yes. In this wrecked Nico shop. All the, of all the, the bars in all the world, you had to come into mine and make me watch this movie. So yeah, Indiana Jones is a movie about a crazed, um, (laughs) a, a crazed sex idiot. A a kinkster with a whip who likes to grave rob and also cradle rob, Jesus. Um, which we will get into in good time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So last time, last time we talked about this a couple of days ago, so long ago, many many moons ago. Feels like when years. We, uh, we had yeah. It we were we managed to get through the uh, plot description relatively quickly. I think it's because it's really nothing. It's really, yeah. Um, Literally four things a solid, happen. A solid third of this movie is taken up by um, car chases. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a nice... We can just fast forward through that. So, mm-hmm. as the movie starts out, um, Indiana Jones is invading a temple in the jungle. Doesn't the, it just say South America? South America. Um, it's 1936. It does say that. He's there, I, and I had this whole—it's it's such a shame that we lost this because I had this, this this whole bit about him stealing like the the golden like Family Guy box set from this temple. And it oh, just yeah. wouldn't work. It, it was it was so organic last time, and it's just it's just gone now. So just know that like you're missing out on that. But he's there. He's still he's there. He's got a guy. He's going to this temple. He's you know it's establishing he's supposed to be this like you know suave dashing treasure hunter fella. Yeah, he somehow knows where all the traps are. He somehow avoids right, all the traps. because he's very smart. He's, he's very intelligent. Apparently. I don't believe that. I think he fucked the temple, and now he just knows what makes it tick. <laughs> yeah, he said the, the temple's another one of his many exes. It's all just muscle memory, you know? So, yeah, Indiana Jones comes in here. He's swinging around, jumping over pits, avoiding spikes. Um... He's got his whip, using his whip, not just situations that you would not normally use a whip in. Then he takes the idol, and he's got his bag of sand, and his bag of sand's too heavy, and he's chased by a big boulder, and everyone's seen this part. My notes on this scene were that Indy runs terrified from a giant stone testicle subtext much. Um, yeah, very, it really is. Which really is. I mean, it is. It's very heavy subtext, but um, for what? Who knows? Because I knows. As, well, as as gets clearly established, like, not even 30 seconds later, Indy has no problem whatsoever with testicles. <laughs> immediately, he, he, he leaves, um, he, he gets out of the temple, he saves his hat 
the important scene where his hat almost dies and he saves his hat's life and he's outside and he runs into Renee Belloc, who previously I had referred to as Indiana Jones's ex-boyfriend. Uh, you took umbrage to that. I did take umbrage to that. I think they just they just run into each other every few months, and like one of them, one of them wins, one of them loses, but they get really like they get real amped up by by whatever happens in their rivalry, and they have really quick and dirty sloppy sex, and they do that like all weekend, and then they like go back home, and they're just like, Ugh, I hate that guy. Right. He is a, yeah, he's a, he's a fellow treasure hunter, but he's the evil one. Indiana Jones is ostensibly the good one. Uh, Rene Belloc is the slightly foreign ones. You know, he's evil. He, uh, shows up outside. His, his, his MO is that Indiana Jones does all the hard work and gets the idol or whatever treasure of the day. And then Rene shows up at the end is like, I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah. Every conversation they have through the entirety of this film is nothing but very heavy-handed allusions to the fact that they definitely have previously fucked. To be it's fair, all... that's that's Indy's chemistry with literally everybody he speaks to. Because literally everybody he speaks to, he has previously fucked. Yeah. Yeah, he has fucked every single one and of you them. And you may think that we're just being blue. You may think that we're just, like, you know, drawing, drawing lines where someone else already drew a box. Mm-mm. But it is honestly, it's, I mean, it's not even, like, it's in the dialogue. It's, di- it's directly referenced. It's just in the script. He is just, like, a giant, messy, bisexual bottom. And he, he doesn't care. He doesn't care who he hurts. That's what it is. So the whole subtext of the giant stone ball that he runs from is the ball is Indiana Jones. <gasps> and at the beginning of this movie, it's trying to show him. It, it is, it is, he is confronted with this physical manifestation of his own hubris and destruction. Wow. And he cannot handle it. He cannot. And he runs away screaming. Wow. You are doing the as, good work As would today. we all. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the dialogue from this conversation between um, Indiana and Belloc that I wrote down was Belloc, you know, he says something along the lines of, Dr. Jones, again, you <laughs> see, there is nothing you can possess that I cannot take away. Very, very Like dominating. his virginity? To, to, to which uh, Indiana Jones' response is, too bad the Jovitos don't know you the way I do, Belloc. Biblically? By by the penis, <laughs> uh, the Hibitos being the I know um, your penis the the, the, the native culture, um, whose sacred temple Indiana Jones is ransacking, wrecking <laughs> shop, and Indiana Jones escapes. Um, he jumps into a river, swims out to a biplane. I did write down "by" in capital letters and "biplane" just because you know you got to pick up on these background details, folks. Um, he gets in. There is a snake on his crotch because the pilot has a pet snake. Why? Again, very heavy. Uh, because this is the part where they have to establish that Indiana Jones has a phobia of snakes. The shtick about snakes bothers me for some reason. 
Yes. That's, yeah, I just needed to get that out there. I don't really have any. I mean, it's not very important, to be honest. Like, the only reason, like, they establish it in this shot at the beginning of the movie that he's, I don't like snakes. I hate them. I hate snakes. Uh, because later in the movie, he, you know, there's a pit full of snakes that he has to fall into and he's trapped in there with the snakes. But, like, honestly, like, it's a pit full of poisonous snakes and you don't need to have a phobia of snakes for that to be a stressful situation. Right? It's just like, look at all these rattlesnakes. Any normal person would be fine with this. But I, in particular, am afraid of snakes. You know what? I mean, he's in the snake pit, but I don't know if it really makes sense that he would be so upset about this. I think we need to establish uh, that he has a phobia. For this really, I mean, the audience isn't going to believe that anybody just like falling into a pit of snakes is going to be like upset about it. It's his fatal flaw. It's his only fear besides intimacy. So yeah, he gets back. He loses the uh, he loses the idol. He goes back, and he's a professor back in the United States, and he teaches archaeology or anthropology or some kind of ology. All of his students are in love with him. Every single one. All the boys, all the girls, um, they write, they they write sultry messages to him on their eyelids. <laughs> uh, she she closes her eyes and it says "love you" on her eyelids, and right, like, that is just ugh, if that ain't me. This is a very confusing part because either she had to somehow write "love you" on her own eyelids with her eyes closed. Or she had to have a friend do it for her, which is confusing to me. I think a friend, because the penmanship is very nice. Right. And if you were doing that backwards in the mirror, it probably wouldn't come out so nice. Maybe she just has a stamp. Maybe they sell stamps for that purpose. Like you just like dunk your face on it. We should shark tank that. Oh, totally. Maybe it's a tattoo. (laughs) She got a tattoo. (laughs) Honestly, yeah. It has nothing to do with Indiana Jones. Like, it's just a confusing tattoo. <laughs> I would get that. I bet somebody has. I bet somebody has tattooed the uh, Love You note from Indiana Jones on their actual physical human eyelids. I'm sure they have. Um. So, uh, Indiana Jones um, gets contacted by the United States government because the Nazis are plotting... They're evil plots because it's 1936, um, and that's what they they're were just doing. getting going. The government shows up because Indiana Jones' old mentor, um, Abner Ravenwood, <laughs> old mentor by which I mean old um, flame. They also fucked. Direct quote. Okay, so the dudes are asking Indiana Jones about Mister Ravenclaw, and he's like, "Well, we were friends, but we had a bit of a falling out." And in that pause, every time they fucked, just, like, flashed before his eyes. Right. It's like the video, you know, there's, like, that edit of Star Wars where Obi-Wan Kenobi is talking to Luke Skywalker about how his father's dead and all this stuff. But then they, like, intercut it with dramatic music and um, flashbacks to Star Wars Episode Three when Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are fighting and he cuts off his legs and leaves him in the lava. Mm-hmm. It's like that, but it's that it's dramatic music is playing. And yeah. it's the spaces between words, just flashbacks to, um, all the hot sex. Yeah. I mean, like he's imagining like a bearskin rug and a fireplace and, 
Careless Whisper is playing. And a bearskin Sorry. It's a great song. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, he uh, studied under Ravenwood before they had a falling out. Ugh. So he doesn't know what, what's going on with him. It's been a while. But the Nazis are after a an object that Abner had, uh, which is part of the Staff of Ra, which is a thing that you need to find the Lost Ark of the Covenant, which the Nazis want because they think it's going to be like a super weapon for their armies. Yeah, so the government like shows up because they want to know where Ravenwood is or if Indiana Jones knows where he is, and he doesn't. But like they end up hiring him to recover this, you know, piece of the artifact before the Nazis get their hands on it and can find out where the Ark is, which he's very excited about because he likes doing that kind of thing. Yeah, he's a man of he's a man of archaeology or whatever. So he he very so he selfishly. Home. He rushes home. He, he rushes home. He, he gets into his best bathrobe. Yeah, his uh, his professor friend shows up uh, while he's home alone in his bathrobe, drinking champagne by himself, uh, living his bachelor life. Um, he packs his whip. He he's such a hat, twink. And that's all you need. So interestingly enough, um, we actually did not touch on this last time, but... Apparently, in the uh, novelization for this scene, his professor friend shows up, and the reason that Indiana Jones is drinking champagne in his bathrobe is because he just got done entertaining a young co-ed, potentially the very same one who had written Love You. He's the grossest. He's very bad. Uh, This obviously doesn't happen in the movie. Because that's not what happened. They were retconning. He was expecting his professor friend to come over because nobody just comes over. He called. He said, Hey, Indiana, I'm going to come over real quick. And he was like, Oh, okay. Let me get into my kimono. Right. That's that's the thing is that like, he comes over and like, he's got the champagne ready. He's in his bathrobe. He does pack for the trip, but then, you know, the scene cuts out before you see their, um, you know, their parting, their, their parting embrace. He wanted a little, a little goodbye action. So he gets that, packs his whip. He packed his whip. I assume he must have unpacked it for the following scene that we didn't see and then packed it again. Um, (laughs) uh, So Indiana Jones goes off on his globetrotting adventure and flies off to Nepal to rendezvous with um, Marion Ravenwood, who is the daughter of Abner, who is in Nepal owns her own bar, her own establishment, her own small business that is thriving in the mountains of Nepal. She works hard for the money. So hard for it, honey. She, when you meet her, she is, yeah, in the middle of a drinking contest with some big Hulk and fella, um, where they have each had approximately 37 shots. They have had so much to drink. Of what I assume is probably Everclear. The... It looks Hulking like a group. bottom shelf whiskey to me. In any case, whatever it is, it's not good. Um, and I don't think there's very many things that you could take 37 shots of, and it would be good. I felt Vami looking at them. Yeah, it's really awful. Just like flashbacks to like post-high school drinking parties. Oh, I don't need that. I don't need to know about so, that. So, 
she wins the drinking contest and immediately everybody in the bar like clears out because it's just like time to pack it in the drinking contest is over it's curfew so literally everyone (laughs) in the bar leaves and then indiana jones uh shows up while she's cleaning up and he's like hey marion long time no see and she's like indiana jones i should have known you would darken my doorstep (sighs) and he's like i need to find your father and she punches him in the face mood which is well deserved um because it is then established that um they had a previous relationship it has been 10 years since she, she saw indiana jones which there is some definite math involved here, which we can get into a little bit later on once we speed through the plot. Let's go, let's go. Um, just saying, Indiana and Marion's ages line up in a very upsetting way. The worst um, way. So yeah, Indiana is like, I don't care about your emotional trauma. I just need to find your dad. She's like, well, my dad's dead. So first of all, fuck you. Mm. Uh, second of all fuck you again uh, and come back tomorrow and he's like but why she's like because i said so and it's my bar and so he leaves um and then it turns out that like she's actually got the artifact that he's looking for and she's wearing around her neck as a necklace it's gone immediately after he leaves that is when the nazis show up in a very slugworth fashion Yes, I was going to say, you had said that the uh, nazi leader uh, was looked like um, nazi slugworth from Willy Wonka. He does. Like the way he shows it's just it's kind of just the way he shows up and also what he's wearing. Like he shows up and he's just kind of like he looks like he's trying to steal some kind of formula or it's the, or uh, person. It's, the it's the universal um you know vis- visual coded language for a creep. He's got the hat, he's got the long coat, he's got the tiny glasses. He's the ugliest man I've ever seen. He's got the very pasty, yeah, expression. He shows up. He's like, hello, Fraulein. We're here for your <laughs> disc. He and sounds like, like Kermit. I don't got that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then the Nazis grab her. But then Indiana Jones shows back up. And ostensibly he rescues her. But really what he does is he, show- he crashes in and uh, gets in a fight with all these Nazis and... The bar burns down. All he really does is prove how much worse things get when he shows up. Right. He has been back in Marion's life for approximately three minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> and has and immediately after that, Nazis show up and her bar burns down. So Indiana Jones, again, um, disaster bisexual. Um, he really is. Ruining lives. Chaotic. Just, chaotic just a big he's a big stone ball just rocking shops wherever he rolls <laughs> so they have to leave the bar burns down they do recover the sacred item not before uh nazi slugworth grabs it after it falls in the fire and it singes his hand um which becomes a plot point a major plot point later in the movie so now marion is accompanying indiana jones on his adventure because he owes her a shit ton of money for burning down her bar so they go off to cairo because they have the thing and they're going to try to yeah find the ark before the nazis find it and you run into uh the Third, no fourth at this, no fifth. The fifth person in this movie who Indiana Jones has definitely fucked. Sala, who is a digger in Cairo, who Indiana Jones specifically (laughs) 
says is the best digger in Cairo. <laughs> I bet um, he is. Which he, yeah, he would know. Digging those guts. Um, they did <laughs> lots of digging back in the day, apparently. Um, now Salah is, again, Indiana Jones has been out of his life for a long time. So Salah's having a, you know, he's living his life. He's got a family. He's got a million kids. Um, he's got a <laughs> wife. And he has been... Um, corralled by the nazis along with every other digger in cairo to help search for the ark the there's a big scene where the nazis show up and they're trying to kill him and get the thing and then uh marion gets kidnapped uh there's a nazi monkey that is their friend but then betrays them and then eventually dies because he eats some poison dates um a lot of stuff happens in like a 20 minute span the Nazis kidnap Marion, and then Indiana Jones thinks she's dead because he, he, he blows up the truck that she's in <sighs> as he blows up everything. Or that he thinks she's dead. Right. He thinks that she's dead. Uh, he, she wasn't actually in the truck, um, but he thinks that she was. So he's, he's just he's like upset. leaving a trail of destruction. I like, right. I didn't even like through his like grieving or whatever, I never got the impression that he acknowledged in any way that if she had been in there, like, assuming that she was in there, this was his fault. Right, no. He's, <laughs> like, he's not upset about that. He was not like, oh, no, it should have been me. He's just kind of like, right. wow. Oh, well, I can't believe no. the Nazis have done this. Damn. Damn, damn, darn. So the next thing, he's just, like, in a bar, and he's drinking. He's drinking his sorrows. Renee shows up again, and they have another sexually charged conversation where... So yeah, this is the thing, uh, like you said, where Renee just shows up periodically throughout Indiana Jones' life, and they have a hot fling and go their separate ways. Yeah, I think the last time they did this, I think... Ooh, you know what? I think Renee like, caught feelings the last time, and then mm. Indiana was like, we can't keep doing this. So now every time they see each other, there's like that awkwardness because they both want to be fucking, but also like Renee wants a little more. So it's like even worse. Their, their whole dynamic is even worse because they get all of this pent up sexual tension, but there's absolutely no release because, because Indiana Jones cannot confront his feelings for any reason. Right. So Renee shows up in the bar. Uh, they have a conversation all about how Renee is Indiana Jones is a dark reflection. He's like, it would take so little to push you over the edge to make you just like me in Indiana. He's alluding to the last time they were in Paris when they got one of those hotel rooms that has a mirror on the ceiling. Exactly. <laughs> um, Indiana Jones says, now you're getting nasty, which he would know. Ah. Um, and so then he's going to be killed because there's a bunch of like hired mercenaries in the bar or something. But then Indiana Jones gets saved by a bunch of children who come in and they don't want to kill him from the kids. So like he gets to leave his life is spared on this day. And then so Indiana Jones goes back to Salah's place um, where they figure out that the Nazis are digging and they figured out where to dig because Slugworth had the burn mark of the disc on his hand but then they also figure out there's instructions on both sides of the disc. And so the front half says, like, how long to make the staff that you have to attach the thing to, to reflect the sun through, to project it onto the map to figure out where to dig. The back half has the part where it tells you how many cubics or whatever to <laughs> take away from the length of the staff. Uh, they figure out that um, Belak's staff is too long. 
Um, which is why they broke up. Um, and then um, my note after this part is yada yada arc, snakes, car chase, fight scenes, etc. They find the arc. They dig in the right spot. The, the snake pit happens. They find the arc. It's in the snake pit. The Nazis come. They leave Indiana Jones in the snake pit, and Marion is also still alive because the Nazis still have her. Uh, they throw her in the snake pit with him, and they escape from the snake pit. Uh, yada yada, car chase, fight scenes. He fights a big burly dude on a plane. Big burly dude uh, dies gruesomely by falling into some propellers. Then Indiana Jones ends up getting the Ark back, and Marion also is there. They get the Ark back, <laughs> they get on a boat. She They're really going- doesn't do very much. She, I mean, she just, she she just wants her bar back. That's She's all. so capable. She's not involved in this at all. Like, I, I'm just like, I feel like she, it's such a waste because she's so clearly capable. Like, they establish. She's very capable. They establish from the start that she's very capable. She, like, the whole point is like, wow, look at this tiny girl who can drink a giant man under the table. And then. Right. Like, you're, you're like, yeah, wow, she's really tough. And then she just literally is like, I'm wearing a dress. I'm wearing a slip. I'm wearing nothing. Like. Right. She's like, she's that, she's like the, uh, she's just that character trope of like the action girl who's like established as being just as capable as like the main dude, but then spends the entire movie like just being kidnapped. Yeah. And, and she like, also. Rescued. She gets kidnapped like. Five times. She really does, and she also has trauma. Anyways, let's keep we'll going. get into that. We'll get um, into it. So they're on a boat with the Ark. Um, they almost have sex, but Indiana Jones is an old, old man and falls asleep right when the action is getting hot. Mm. And so Marion's put off. Um, then he wakes up in the morning and like goes out to like. Pee. He, he it's probably like he wakes up at like five a.m. and has to pee because that's what old people do. Um, <laughs> and he, he just goes like, out there, but then and he stays that's up. When the Nazis, right? That's when the Nazis show up again, and Marion gets kidnapped again. But Indiana Jones escapes, hitches a ride on their U-boat, and they go back to the island or wherever where the Ark is supposed to be opened at. Um. I admit I sort of lost the plot here. I stopped paying attention slightly because at this point it's, again, lots of car chases, lots of fight scenes. It really is like 15 minutes of just like a car chase. He gets on a horse. Oh, wait, that was before this. Anyways. Anyway, let's see. That all happens. I mean, it all kind of just blends together because after this point, like the movie goes on for like 45 minutes. But all that happens is that they get there. Indiana Jones reveals himself and has a bazooka. Um, but then lets himself get captured because he doesn't actually want to blow up the Ark in Marion. And then Marion and Indiana Jones are tied to a pole, and the Nazis and Renee do the ancient ritual. But they're Nazis, so the Ark is full of sand and ghosts, and the ghosts come out. And <laughs> because the Nazis all look at it and Indiana Jones and Marion don't, the Nazis all get struck by holy lightning and light on fire and variously explode slash melt slash die gruesomely with the most advanced visual effects technology 1981 had to offer. That is like, I find that, that like rule where they, they don't look at it. So they're fine. First of all, like, how does he know about that? And bollocks doesn't. And also, like, 
that's such like character armor, you know? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> they're just like, oh, oh, okay. So we know about the secret thing, but they don't. It's it's silly. Renee's, uh, yeah, understanding and also like motivation throughout this movie is a little bit suspect. Um, what he says at one point is that like, it's when they're in the bar. He's like, do you know what the Ark is? It's a radio to talk to God. And it's like, okay, cool. But like, why? Like, why do you like talk to God and like ask him what? And also, where did you get this idea that the Ark of the Covenant is a radio to talk to God? Because I don't think that was ever in is the that- Bible. <laughs> you know what's funny? I have a... Um, my degree is partially in religion. And I don't really remember that either. Though it's possible we just didn't get to that part. You were uh, sick on the day they covered that God invented the FM radio. <laughs> I was probably just depressed and skipping class, if we're being real. So that's on me, God. Sorry. I- Peace. <laughs> um, it's okay, Nico. I wasn't paying attention either. Thank you. You know, it was really boring that day. What was I going to say? There's like so much like, I think there's like a really funny sort of idea in, that I had about the Nazis like melting and exploding and shit because of, because of, because they tried to get to the arc and and they just like you know their hearts weren't pure enough so they exploded right because they're nazis for fuck's sake but it's just like um i don't know it like the the sort of like the plot of this film is so incredibly flimsy there's just nothing nothing at all and yet it's a like american classic Everybody's seen everybody's seen this movie before now, except for me. This is a piece of classic American cinema. Um, I've said it once, I'll say it again. It says a lot about American values. True. I like, um, you know, I love, I love like a good scene where um, a whole bunch of, you know, Nazis get punched and, and whatever, but... Very, which is very relevant. Yeah. To and the current. Yeah, I mean, everybody can get behind a nice, a, a feel-good action extravaganza where a bunch of Nazis just get pushed into plane propellers and yeah, simply annihilated shot and just annihilated and melted and exploded. It's good stuff, you know, and then at the end, like the pretty liberals are fine, albeit sweaty. And then they talk to the government again and they're like, Hey, where's this, where's the stuff that we, that we found. And they're like, that's being investigated by top men. Top men. Right. I wrote down, the government has their best tops keeping an eye on the Ark. No bottoms. That's why everybody's so aggressive. Yeah, Indiana Jones, disaster bisexual bottom, just cannot be trusted. The government has their best tops keep an eye on it in a warehouse. And that's where the movie ends. They put the Ark in a box. They put it in a warehouse. Everybody has seen this scene, too. Or it's been parodied in enough things that people have definitely seen it. That's and how I saw it. it there. And they leave it there until Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, when it makes a brief cameo appearance. Oh, does that happen? Yeah, it's the uh, it's the scene where they're um they're, they're there's a they're getting like the uh, skull. That's where it is is in the government warehouse and like oh. the uh, the Nazis or is it the Russians in that one? I think it's the Russians because the fifties. You know, what's funny is I don't know. I did see that movie on a date when I was like fifteen. And it was like a group hang, 
And I was watching the movie, but I was also very hyper about the possibility of making out. So I probably was not paying attention. Right. Also, like, that's the only one I've seen, and everybody, like, hates it so much. It's not great. But yeah, they, they uh, there was the big car chase scene through, like, the warehouse with all the boxes, and, like, they knock over <laughs> the boxes, and the Ark of the Covenant falls out. And it's like, oh, there's that thing. It's been there for 30 years. Are all these movies just kind of, like, 80% car chase and 20% disaster by sexuality? Yeah, pretty oh, much. Fair. Um... Except for Temple of Doom, which is 95% car chase. Wow. Yeah. And uh, 5% uh, racism. Oh, okay. All right. Glad Actually, I... no, it's probably it's probably a nice 50-50 split, to be honest. Really? Like, giving it too much credit with the 5%. Um, anyway. I'm so, yeah, that is the glad I missed plot. that one. That is the plot of the movie. Um, should we take a quick break before we get into the uh, the good stuff? Yeah. The this, bad stuff. This podcast has been brought to you by My Eternal Screaming. Ah! Go to myeternalscreaming.com and use the code HETPOD <laughs> for 20% off your first order of ship straight to your door internal screams. Just me screaming. It's going to be great. Because who has the time to go to the store and buy all the ingredients to make your own internal screaming we'll just deliver it straight to you folks we're cutting out the middleman that way you're only paying for the screams that you're going to use no middleman's here okay i wow okay so now i've got appa like chewing on this this great like rubber sound coming it's gonna come through. Maybe I'll take that away from him. I'm sure it's not any worse than the sound of like PJ jumping at the wall attacking my shadow <laughs> for the like, first half of the conversation. I mean it's definitely going to be picked up by my uh my microphone, but whatever. Okay, so shall we shall we get into the uh into the biz? Into the biz, into the abyss. Um <laughs> I like <laughs> To be very clear with you and all of my contemporaries, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like, I do not like what's coming. But right, it needs, especially, that's it, the thing is now having already recorded this episode once, now no. like we both know what is just around the corner. Oh my god, it's looming. That we have to get into. It's just, it's, oh, it's just, it's just a disgusting, hideous nightmare. From which we will never wake because it's real life and I hate it so much. Getting into so there is the there is the main relationship in this movie, which is Indiana Jones and Marianne Ravenwood. As we touched on earlier in our conversation, um Marianne is harboring a lot of resentment and hatred toward Indiana over this ten year gap that they have not seen each other for good reason as Indiana Jones, uh, when he was studying under Abner, uh, yeah, developed this relationship with Marion. Um, when Indiana was in his mid twenties, 25 or 26 or 27 and Marion was 15, 16, 17 years old. 
Um, in the uh. script, I believe it is established that she was 15. Um, and we talked about this last time um, that they they did release like a visual history novel or something like that um, in 2008 that retconned it a little bit, um, established a new birth year for her that puts her around like closer to 17, um, which is also not good. Um, still below the age of majority, but. I just also that's not actually in the script in the, in the movie itself in the movie we watched she was established as being 15 years old when she developed this relationship with a 25 26 27 year old Indiana um, how do they know that I love to scream and die that's why how we do know, this podcast how do they know that's my favorite thing to do is to scream and then and then die when this is touched upon in the film itself, um, Indiana Jones shows up in Marion's bar. Um, she punches him in the face and tells him that she has learned to hate. And she says, I've learned to hate you in the last 10 years. Well and done. He is like, I never meant to hurt you. And Marion says, I was a child. I was in love. It was wrong. And you knew it. Um, all true. All true. God, she's so like. To which Indiana, horrible person. That he is. His response is uh, that she knew what she was doing. Ah! The implication being that Marion, as a a, t- a tiny child, was fully sexually cognizant and capable of making the kind of decisions that would allow her to consensually enter into a relationship with a grown ass man in a mentorship position to her. A, at least a decade older than her. See, so yeah, Marion's pissed. Then, then this is pretty much this is more or less immediately glossed over. They touch on this. She's pissed off, and then they're in love. And then they start kissing uh, because this, and then they start kissing a lot uh, because this movie was written by um, horrible old men. So that happens. So I had last time, and I may not. So last time I had read from this, I may not read from it this time, just in the interest of time. But I have here, I had found an article that linked to um, a, it's it's a transcript of a, a story conference between Lawrence Kasdan, the scriptwriter, and George Lucas. Because, you know, if something awful is going on, he's probably in the room. And Steven Spielberg. All three uh, talentless first. hacks. All three of them, all Disgusting, in one room. Disgusting, talentless um, pieces of human garbage. Go on. They... So, yeah, what they, and so they're, ta- they're discussing this uh, plot point, they're su- discussing Marion's uh, potential relationship with Indiana Jones, and the uh, idea that they originally come up with, they established that they should already have had a relationship at one point, um, and it was actually George Lucas's idea that Indiana Jones um, had previously had a sexual relationship with Marion, when she was what the the number that he floats out when this is first brought up is 11 and Lawrence Kasdan's first number for Indiana Jones is 42 so as bad as what we ended up with is a 31 year difference yeah a nice 31 year age gap um, I guess the original idea is that she would have been yeah so in in their original draft of this 
he would have been in his fifties in the course of the film and she would be 22 ish. Um, to Steven Spielberg's credit, he does say that they should probably make her a little bit older than that, that she should be older than 22 in the movie because that's asking for trouble. Um, they, they round it down from that to him being 35. This is George Lucas again. His compromise is that Indiana Jones should be 35 and she should, he should, uh, have been in a relationship with her, um, 10 years ago when she was 12. So yeah, much better. I'm going to kill much him in real George. life. Oh, uh, oh. because, and his, the, the exact quote is it would be amusing to make her slightly young at the time. Oh, you know uh, what? And Steven Spielberg's response to that is and promiscuous. She came on to him. Oh, okay. So, oh my God. So it's these established. So yeah, these, these three old men in a room, spitballing, brainstorming the best idea they can come up with off the top of their heads is that it would be really funny be if you had an 11-year-old girl coming on to 42-year-old, 50-year-old, whatever, Indiana Jones. You know what? You know what? To be perfectly fair, this is very amusing in the sense that when I go to the amusement park and I go on the Tilt-A-Whirl and I get off, I vomit everywhere. And this is producing the same reaction in me. Yeah. The same exact. So well done, guys. Well done, guys. Because I'm going to vom everywhere. These three men standing around you, spinning you in a circle, making you spew all over their pudgy faces. I'm vomiting. Um, Ah! uh, They eventually settle on 15... Uh, because George Lucas thinks 15 is right on the edge, not on the edge of legality or the edge of morality, right on the edge of it being interesting. Because if you start making her 16, 17 years old when they had an affair, it just loses. It's not interesting. It's boring. No more. No more. Oomph in that. No more. Right. It's, you know, it's just it's like going to the library. So what they what they yeah so what they end up settling on is yeah she was fifteen he was twenty five that is the furthest he's he is allowing it to be pushed because yeah any any anything anything uh less than that age gap ceases to have any interest to George Lucas as a creative director. I want to die. Uh, we all want to die, and we are not allowed. I know. Um. Yeah, so that happens. Um, Marion is rightfully pissed at Indiana up until the point that the script decides that they're actually in love again. Um, which sucks. Let Marion stay mad. Right. Because, like, didn't you tell me he, he like, leaves her again? Pregnant. Uh, yeah, so that's... Okay, so this is the... Plot progress. This is Marion's plot progression through this movie. And Marion has not seen Indiana Jones in ten years. Ten years since he crashed into her life, stole her childhood away, yeah, blew out of town. Yeah. In that time, she has processed her emotions toward him, learned to hate him, as she says, come to terms with that. Done a great job. She has moved. She has left the country. She has moved to Nepal, as far away as she could possibly get from your abuser. She's like, she's in Nepal. She's a small business owner. She has yaks as pets. She's doing right. so great. And then he just she shows is, up 
and ruins and then her he life shows up again. And immediately, she he shows up, stirs up all these feelings, immediately burns down her bar. Now she has nowhere to go but to accompany him. Uh, carts her away to Cairo, where she immediately gets kidnapped by Nazis, almost dies, gets tied to a pole, makes her complicit of snakes. Makes her complicit in his nonsense. Yeah, makes her a Nazi sympathizer by accident because she makes friends with that monkey. <sighs> Fucking Nazi monkey. We didn't touch very much on the Nazi monkey in this uh, round of the episode, but uh, the monkey is a Nazi. Nazi monkey in this movie, folks. Yeah, the they really went Nazi. there. There is a the monkey. The monkey. Sig Hiles. Yeah, they made it. They made us watch that. They made us fall in love with this cute little monkey, and then they made the monkey give the Nazi salute. And then the monkey died, and it was mixed emotions for me dies, because the monkey was very all cute. Nazi monkeys. What were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about about Marion's trauma, right? Right, Marion. And um, Ugh, so yeah, then so yeah, all this stuff happens. Um, so Marion's kidnapped by Nazis. Indiana Jones finds her. He does find her. He finds her when she's been kidnapped by the Nazis in Cairo. It's before he goes to get the Ark. He finds her tied to a pole, bound and gagged, ungags her, kisses her, then decides, you know what? I'm actually going to leave you here. Regags her, leaves her in the tent, and leaves. Kingster piece of shit. Fucking 24-7 BDSM lifestyle. Fucking piece of garbage. This all happens, and then... He almost pulls their both bazooka. Then <laughs> and then he decides not to. <laughs> right. And then they get had to a pull again together, which Indiana is, of course, into, which quit, like, subjecting us to your kinks, bruv. Yeah, that fucking spreader bar. And then uh, they almost get blown up by god ghosts. Um, then they go back to the States. Now, this does not happen in the movie itself, but the next time we see Marion is in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is set, you know, 20-something years later. Indiana Jones, after the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark, sleeps with Marion, knocks her up, and vanishes for 20 years. So it's now the 1950s. Marion has had her business burned down, her life destroyed again, her awful abusive piece of shit ex shows up knocks her up blows out does not even know he has a kid it's completely right she is she spent 10 years in nepal she was fine doing fine not having thought of indiana jones once she was doing so great and five minutes later her bar is burned down and she has a kid that she has to raise on her own because indiana jones disappears and is off living his disastrous bisexual life. You know what, though? He is, like, as far as I'm aware, he is a tenured professor of archaeology. Which means he can do no wrong? No, which means he can be kind of reliably found about about ten months out of the year. Right, Ex- except for the parts of the year where he's, like, traipsing around the world, like, getting money from the uh, university to, uh... Steal things. I think, I think sort of the idea is that, like, he's a professor, he's on the payroll, but, like, they just use him as an asset to, like, yeah, go steal artifacts for their museum. Yeah. More than he actually teaches. He does still teach, though, because there's always, like... Because in the two of, of four movies that I've seen... There's always like a there's always a part where he's like in the classroom and he gives his students like a like one of those like little knowing smiles like 
Right. Hey, it's me. Remember me? I'm hot. Everyone remembers me. Because <laughs> I fucked them all. There's the one part. There's the one part where like they're in hiding or whatever before Marion gets kidnapped by the Nazis and brought onto the boat again. Where the guy is like, I've heard a lot about you, sir. And I'm just like, you heard that he's hot, is what you heard. Because that's what that subtext is. Word gets around. It does. It does. I feel like I don't want to give him any, like, any bed credit, though, you know? I don't want to be like, Oh, I'm sure he's terrible. Yeah, right? Because based on the one scene where they almost have sex and he, like, passes out immediately, I'm sure the dick ain't that good. Renee does all the work. Renee's like, hey, maybe you should get on top for a little while. And Indiana's like, I'm tired. My body is sore from all of the running around that I did today. I did all that running. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, These are direct quotes from myself. It really is. We're we're reading from the script right now. Uh, So then... So yeah. uh, Marion is the only good character in this movie. She does no wrong. She's just trying to live her best life, and Indiana Jones is really working is. everything. So we did, we did, we did, we did bring up Renee. So let's. That's a good segue. I feel like um, mm. out of these murky depths into these other murky depths, slightly less murky though. Slightly so. less, because at least they're like more or less the same age, right? I feel like I feel like this is the relationship that I want to nurture, actually, because I feel like. I would have wanted to nurture the relationship between him and Abner, but Abner's not around. And also, I don't really, I don't know that I trust that relationship either. And I feel like I, I, I touched upon this at, at an earlier time, but like, you know, I kind of, I don't like the idea of, of really like digging into these relationships that are not, uh, that aren't good, you know, like the, they clearly don't like each other, but Mm -hmm. like they have sexual chemistry or whatever. But I feel like, first of all, that's all Indiana Jones can handle emotionally because he is just a nightmare and a piece of shit. And we know he's not going to work through any of this in therapy because he thinks, because he just passes blame onto other people. Right. So the best he can really hope for is a relationship that is founded on mutual hate and enormous sexual chemistry, where they don't live in the same area, even the same country, and they just bump into each other every so often. Right. And, like, get a couple of good good verbal barbs in, and then they get a couple of physical barbs in. <laughs> How does that feel to you? That feels pretty good. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh see, so yeah, we sort of already like laid out most of the evidence for Renee and Indiana's relationship. Um as we established, it is all yeah, very heavily referenced in the text. There's not a lot that you have to extrapolate because they pretty much just come right out and yeah, say all this stuff right up front. I'll do a close reading anyway. <laughs> so that's basically that is their established relationship is that they're just, you know, they are they are fuck buddies. They bump into each other. This is also before like Tinder and 
Grinder and all the apps. So, like, the best you could do was, like, just go out into the jungle and hope to run into, you know, the um, archaeologist who caught feelings for you. Who you, you know, every uh, every fortnight you have a sweaty weekend with. Yeah, I mean, that's really... And considering the time period as well, I feel like that's really the best we can hope for. Because I, I feel that Indiana Jones is very very almost too comfortable in his sexuality, but the rest of the world has definitely not caught up yet. He is comfortable to the point of, um, what's the opposite of benefit? Not loss. Everyone else's, yeah, he is comfortable in his sexuality to everyone else's detriment. Yeah. I think, I think actually he uses the time period, um, the intolerance of the time period to his advantage. Because he can just be like, oh no, this is so wrong. Like, we're not supposed to be doing this. It's actively against the law in every country. And so he, he can use that as an excuse to be incredibly emotionally unavailable and, and really to gaslight people. Right. So, yeah, that's Renee. That's his deal. Um, and honestly, and this relationship will probably have continued much in the same way that it has for, you know, however long now, years, decades, uh, were it not for the fact that uh, Rene was a Nazi collaborator and rightfully had his head exploded by a god box. Yeah, that made me sad. Not not that he died. It made me sad that just as we were, like, getting to the real meat of this relationship, he had to be a Nazi, so I just don't care what happens to him. Because I feel like I could have gotten a lot of really good work done, but now I just have to completely discount him because he's a piece of shit. And his head exploded, so you don't have to worry about him anymore. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's... These are stories for another time to be retconned in my fanfiction. I'm sure they... I'm sure there's the young Indiana Jones TV series, and I'm sure it's just all about all their sweaty weekends together. So, yeah, that was Renee and... Indiana's relationship. Uh, moving back in time, you also have Indiana's relationship with Abner Ravenwood, Mr. Ravenclaw, mm-hmm. who is not in the movie, so he cannot defend himself. But he, as we have said, it is established from, um, out of the mouth of Indiana Jones himself that he did study under Abner Ravenwood All the way. in his younger days. All the way under. They did have a falling out. Um, what fell out? And there is also a line of dialogue between Marion and Indiana while they are in Cairo, where they're talking about her father. And Marion says, he said you were a bum. And Indiana says, well, he was being generous. And Marion says, yeah, but he said you were the most gifted bum he ever trained. Ah! Which is... An actual line of dialogue in the movie. This is Indiana Jones canon that Indiana Jones was the most gifted bum Abner Ravenwood ever trained. Ever. Ever. Wow. So I just... that's just there. They just they just say that. They literally put that in the movie. This is what I'm talking about when I say that. Yeah, none <laughs> of the stuff is subtext. This is all just directly laid out in the script. I know. Established. Indiana Jones was the most gifted bum Abner Ravenwood ever trained, and that's just what it is, and you just got to learn to accept it. I can't. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. 
clearly what happened was, yeah, back in the day, Indiana Jones and this older fella were hooking up. He had a great um, bomb. A gifted they, bomb. He, yeah, he was training his bomb. They were learning all about the Ark of the Covenant, all this stuff. Um, up until Indiana Jones decided to wreck everyone's lives by sleeping with Abner's 15-year-old daughter. So, fuck him. I wouldn't. But, he'd ruin my life. Right. He would try, though. He would try. And then... And then Where was I going with this? I would, before I succumbed, I would have to remember that I'm gay. Because he is very, very good looking. That's his weapon. It's his secret weapon. His I know. And his looks. And he uses them both to disastrous effect. You're so right. So... Gotta keep my eyes on the prize. And, so, yeah. Um, and we, we... So, we did talk about this last time, too, that... In this relationship between Indiana and Abner, there is also, you know, a pretty clearly established age gap um, between the fact that this is an old man who is now dead, who died of old man disease. Um, <laughs> and Indiana Jones is slightly younger at the time, but he was, again, he was in his mid-twenties. So just like in Clueless with, you'll have to say the name of the character again. <laughs> And Josh, so, Josh and Mel. With Josh and Mel, Josh and Shira's father, Mel. Um, just like with that, there is another age gap, but the age gap between Indiana and Abner is perfectly fine because both are legal adults and both can make their own decisions. Just like the, the age gap between Josh and Mel is perfectly fine because Josh is in his 20s, as far as I established, or is at least older than 18. Yeah. And Mel is also an older fella, but they're adults. They can do whatever they want. And yeah. you can feel like it's weird if you want to, but it's not anywhere near as weird or patently illegal as the relationship between Indiana Jones and young innocent Marion. Yeah, like I, anything wrong. I don't approve of it, you know, personally, ideologically, but it's like... There's the room for more, like, sort of nuance in that kind of a power dynamic, rather mm -hmm. than, like, the one that is just, you know, objectively wrong from the get-go. Like, because the difference between, like, we'll say a 25-year-old and a 40-year-old is still pretty, like, pretty significant, pretty huge. But I think, like, we can discuss the nuances around that power dynamic in, like, a more elegant way. Whereas, like, the difference between a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old is something that I can... And that's, a, like, that's another thing. That's something that I can identify very well, because I'm a 25-year-old. And I would not touch a 15-year-old with a 39-and-a-half-foot pole, because Jesus Christ, obviously. Right. I mean, again, like, as a, as a former teenager who is now an adult, looking at teenagers now, they are little baby tiny children. They are! And I cannot imagine what would be the mental leaps required for you to look at a little tiny 15-year-old child and think that is a person who definitely can consent to having sex with me. Like, Jesus Christ, I can't imagine. Like, okay, 15-year-old person who is just now, like, allowed to go to the movies by themselves. Me, 25, I have bills and I have... I, I have bills, and I have a child, dog. Right. I have, like, 
I've been in several relationships. I have like, you know, I, in the last 10 years, so many things have happened to and around me. And like, I like just the experience alone is just, it's, I like, I'm, I'm turning green thinking about this. I feel so, I feel sick. We can move on. Okay. Thank you. We can, we can, we can <laughs> stop dwelling on this. Oh, uh, you know, I love to dwell. <laughs> oh, I do. That's just what the podcast is about. It's just lots of us dwelling on lots of very unpleasant things. Right. And we could just dwell on this. We could spend another two hours just dwelling on this awful relationship. But true. we should not. We shouldn't. We should probably. Should we wrap up? We're pretty close. Yeah. So um, I guess like having come to this, you know, as an adult in 2018, I like find it so confusing that like these movies have been have been like immortalized they're like everybody knows these movies mm-hmm. everybody's seen these and like loves except them for you. except me except me because you've got taste i would not say that i would say i had a very like i would say because i think these are the kinds of movies that people our age watched as children right when i was a child um my dad was taking me to see Red Dragon in theaters, as well mm. as Mariah Carey's Glitter. Um, so, like, I think my <laughs> my context is that I had I was raised by two very weird people who didn't want me to watch normal stuff, and I feel glad about that. But I feel like. Having like having come to this, you know, as a as a woke twenty five year old for the first time, I'm just really confused by how much everybody likes this character. Because <laughs> like I mean, like barring the fact that like nobody else is probably going to read him as a disaster bisexual besides us, like I don't know how you couldn't though because it's just in the it's just in the plot. People are blind. People are blind. People are I, blind. Like I just people have to move willfully past willfully ignorant willfully. of the things that are. Clearly obvious. They will read something straight 400,000 times until it, like, gets dug in front of them. Right. Dug in the guts. This is, this is what, this is our service. This is what we do this for, is to point out the blatantly obvious that is just staring everyone in the face and they're just missing. Hey, guess what, everybody? That thing that you thought wasn't gay, it's gay. (sighs) You know, Ignoring that that fact entirely, which is like weirdly, I feel the only redeeming thing about him is that he does have sex with men. It's like, why are people seeing this person as like like a? Why are people seeing this character like as like a cool good guy? I don't know. Probably because of all the car chases. All the car chases, and he wears a hat and has his cool whip. He's got a cool whip. He's got a kinky whip. That he suggests us to. So yeah, this this would be yeah. So this would be normally the part where we would figure out who else would be a better fit for the involved players in this film. But that's impossible to do in this film because, for one, Marion is the only woman in the movie who is not just like a background character or a co-ed who tattooed their eyelids. So there's not really anyone yeah. to ship her with. Um, I ship. She Marianne. does have a little bit of a, a little bit of a flirtation with Renee, 
when she is being kidnapped by Nazis, but she pretty much just spends the entire thing just, like, coming on to him as an attempt to escape from the Nazis. Yeah. So. I mean, I, but, sh- I ship, uh, I ship Marion hard with peace of mind. Mm-hmm. With um, processing her trauma, getting stronger, continuing to hate Indiana Jones, and I also ship Indiana Jones with uh, dying in the first three minutes Death. of the film. Right. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that there's no one to ship Indiana Jones with either because everyone in this movie he want- has already fucked and fucked over. Yeah. So there's no one left to for him to have a healthy relationship with. But he also doesn't deserve one. Um, so the best way to fix this movie, in my mind, is simply in the opening sequence of this movie, Indiana Jones raids this this temple, then immediately dies. He is confronted with his stone reflection in this giant boulder that the universe is presenting him with to reflect upon his sins, and he is immediately crushed to death. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the rest of the movie is just Marion is in her bar in Nepal and she is living her best life and never has a think of Indiana Jones ever again. So wrong. Because again, okay, so we talked about this last time too, that Indiana Jones comes in, he shows up, burns down Marion's bar, takes her on his globetrotting, you know, disastrous adventure, kills a bunch of people, all this stuff. The Nazis get the art. What is his fucking body count? He, like, kills innocents. He kills a lot of people. Um, but the thing is, if Indiana Jones had not been involved, nothing else would have been different. Because, one, the only reason the Nazis found the Ark of the Covenant in the first place, because they were digging in the wrong spot. The only reason they got their hands on it is because Indiana Jones found where it actually was buried, dug it up, and they took it from him. If he had left it alone, they never would have found it. Two, even if they had found it, they still would have opened at the end of the movie and all exploded just the same. Yep. He did nothing but come into the movie and burn down Marion's bar, knock her up, and disappear. So. Wow. Oof. Shipping Marion with her bar back in Nepal, living her life, not getting knocked up with Shia LaBeouf, and shipping Indiana Jones with being crushed to death by a giant boulder. That is. It. It's a match made in heaven. That is it. It was a match made to heaven. We fixed it. We fixed Indiana we fixed Jones. It. Because now it's, the it's just going to be... the easiest fix in the world. You, you change one thing, Indiana Jones is just slightly slower. At the beginning of the movie, he trips over his shoelace. Significantly more realistic that he would die in that scene. Because they're like, there's that ball, that giant ball following him, as well as a million, like, arrows and screaming skeletons. And there's all that shit in there. Like, and he's just like, oh, I'm so suave that I can just dodge it. No. No. Right. You're a human be being. Okay with it You're going to trip he and fall and es- die. I would even be okay with it if he escapes from the ball, escapes from the pits, escapes from the arrows, goes to the plane, and then he gets in the plane, and then a python bites him in the dick, and he dies. <laughs> Like, that would have been a good scene. Right he Johnson. gets from all this stuff, and he gets in the plane, and there's a snake in his seat, Oof. and it bites him. And he's like, I hate snakes, and this is why. <laughs> it, and then he's that dead. would be very valid. Quite valid. Uh, yeah. Wow. So should we wrap up? Yeah, let's wrap up. I think we've... Can we please, 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 God, for the love of God, can we please stop talking about Indiana Jones? Please, for, for once. I I'm begging. would be so pleased to never discuss this person ever again. 
I, I feel like I know him personally. Indiana Jones for four hours now. It's two two separate occasions. Yep. Too much. Yes. Too much Indiana Jones, and I never want to talk about this horrible disaster bisexual ever again. He's horrible. This this rolling ball of a bottom. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Um, we hope that this round two, second round, lightning round of hot, hot, hot commentary on a forty-year-old movie is has been has been a, a enlightening for you, as enlightening for you as it was for us. Because I mean, I didn't honestly. I did not come into this movie expecting to leave it hating Indiana Jones as a character as much as I do now. Here we are, and here we are, making each other stronger, stronger together. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. So yes, thank you for joining us. Um, what do we say? Thank you to my good pal Shady Monk for the use of our theme music and our interim music and our outro music which is all the same song uh you can find his stuff at shadymonk.bandcamp.com you can find me on twitter at cello buster which is spelled with a c and an e and an l and an l and an o and a buster um uh, you can also find me on instagram now with that same title but i don't know how much i'll use it because my phone camera is broken but we'll see uh, how about you, Nico? Well, I'm on Twitter as at Slut of Babylon. I'm on Instagram three times now. Um, <laughs> Trace. Trace Instagrams. We've got Barbie's Black Friend. We've got Nico Makes Art. And now we've got brand new hot off the presses at Sorry, say it again. I was doing the Zelda jingle. What the heck, Pod? I think we'll post, like, I'm going to post pictures of us and pictures of our show notes, which is kind of fun, and updates and silly things. And I really enjoy using Instagram, so I'll find little ways to use it. Um, oh, and I'll post pictures that we discuss during the show so that you can, like, look look along. You can see. join us on this visual journey. Yeah. It's like having a little, you know, little storybook to go along with your podcast. Aww. Yeah. Liner notes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, follow us there. Follow us on Twitter, at WhatTheHeadPod. On Tumblr, at WhatTheHeadPod. On Facebook, at WhatTheHeadPod. It's all the same everywhere you go. Streamlined. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go. Everywhere uh, you look. The rest everywhere of that song. there's a heart, there's a heart. Hand hold on to... Why haven't you stopped me? <laughs> I don't care how far you would go. Um, so yes, thank you. Um, if you have any suggestions for movies that you think we should watch, you should please send them to us. Send message us on Facebook. Message us on Twitter. I don't know if you can message us on Instagram, but do us that. You can. Send us an ask on Tumblr. Just hit us up wherever you like and send us a suggestion. And if we watch your movie, we'll give you a shout out. Uh, Nico, what movie are we watching next week? I'm so excited. Time? It's not going to be a week from now. I'm so very excited. We're watching Stick It. And I'm not going to say anything else until next time. So, 
stick it, and that is the um, that's the the 2006 gymnastics movie, right? Yes, the one and only. All right. Well, uh, so yeah, thank you, thank you for joining us. Um, join us next episode uh, where we will have watched Stick It. Anything else, Nico? That does it for me. Me too. <laughs> okay, let's stop thinking about Indiana Jones. I can't forever. Okay. All have right. a count of three. One, <gasps> two, three. Mm, palette cleanse. I need ginger. Mm.